talented freshman Corey Bradford, the Big Ten Freshman of the Year, first Illini ever to win that award. Their leading scorer, Corey Bradford, he's a big time shooter. See, he's the kind of guy that's catch and shoot basketball player from out of Memphis, Tennessee. One of the great three point shooters in the Big Ten. So here's Bradford, there's around the screen, and he nails the three. Come on, Corey, find that J, Corey, find that J. Bradford, quick three, got it. Bradford will try the three. Got it. Corey Bradford, that's a big time three right there. Here's Bradford at the other end. Nice play. Bradford from the arc, and there it is. The streak continues. Nama House is in the house. This is your host, Eric. And as always, right next to me is my co-host, Zach. Zach, what's going on this morning, my friend? Hey, I'm pumped. We got one of the best shooters I've ever seen in college basketball, and now I get to talk to him. So this is going to be a fun one. I'm, I'm really excited for this one. Absolutely. That's saying a lot, too, man, because there's a lot of great shooters. He's a high school state champion who also went on to have an amazing career at Illinois. He's Big Ten Freshman of the Year. He went to have a successful career playing professionally in the CBA and overseas. Truly one of the best shooters, like Zach just said. Mr. Corey Bradford, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing awesome, man. Appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. You grew up a Memphis kid. What can you tell us about Memphis and what was your childhood like growing up there? It was awesome. I had one of the best childhoods you could ever have. Um, awesome family, huge support. Um, nothing, nothing special. Just always had support and stuff. And obviously, that's that's been part of my uh, success that I've had throughout my whole career. Awesome. You know, one of the things I like to ask players because I think it's important. A lot of people don't think about this. Is you're known for playing basketball, right? But when you were a kid. Did you start off playing Little League Baseball or, or Pee Wee Football, or was basketball it for you when you when you first started playing organized sports? Basketball was it. Uh, basketball was uh, the, the main sport in my household. Uh, my uncles played, and obviously my uncles played other sports as well, uh, but I pretty much just gravitated towards basketball. Uh, now, uh, blacktop, how important was the blacktop for you back in the day, or were you mostly indoor player? Blacktop was huge, you know, back in the day. Um, I was basically playing a lot with my uncles, play with all, you know, obviously older players and stuff, and, and grown men to say. Um, and I think that pretty much helped hold the shape me as I got older, obviously going to high school. Um, yeah, I, I played on Blacktop up till maybe eighth grade. That's when my uncle told me, nephew, time to quit. You got to gotta keep those knees right. So, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> we hear that a lot. <laughs> Yeah, the blacktop's definitely hard on the knees. I I remember oh, I yeah. trying to practice all these dunks on the blacktop, and you know, twenty years later, I'm starting to regret that a little bit. But um, you know, growing up in Memphis, I read that you were a big Penny Hardaway fan. But uh, who did you look at and actually try to play like? Like, was there uh, somebody that you watched and saw maybe their build or just their play style where you told yourself like I, I want to really try to emulate my game like him? Oh, 
I want to say growing up during my time, you know, obviously Penny was a huge, huge face, you know, come out of Memphis, but it was guys that was before him, as we all know, you know you guys for me with Ellie Perry. Oh yeah. Uh, Ellie Perry yeah. played at Phoenix Suns. Yeah, EP, EP uh before him, um Andre Turner. Um and obviously it was a lot of guys that uh that really took me in and, and really taught me how to be a pro. And obviously when that time came, but uh, you know, when you when you got guys like that that you pretty much uh, grew up watching, you know, obviously being at the University of Memphis, you can, can't help but to try to emulate your game after certain things they did, especially with Penny. Penny was special, especially for its size. A lot of people didn't realize until they saw him in person how tall he was and how big he was, you know, playing point guard position. And obviously, you know, we saw the type of things and stuff. So, uh, Penny, Penny's always been my guy. He's always been that big brother to us all that came up doing fire and stuff like that. It really kind of took us in and kind of showed us the way on how to, you know, stay on that path. Yeah. I mean, he was a, he was an icon for sure. He was definitely a huge part of my childhood and guys that I looked at also. And, you know, I think it's really interesting because Memphis is really known for its basketball, but I'm curious what the high school scene was like in Memphis. Like I know that you led your school to state championships, so you must've gone up against some familiar names, but any names our listeners might know, did you have a rival? Uh, coming out of my time, I want to say Robert O'Kelly, who played at Wake Forest, was a big name coming out of Memphis. Tony Harris, of course, who's a big dog there, came out, um, who played at East High School. And Tony went to the University of Tennessee um, and had a great career. Um, and again, it, I always say that class of 97 was, was major, not only in Memphis, but obviously, you know, with Shane Batty, Byron Davis, to go on to name a few guys. Uh, Elton Brand, uh, class of 97. So we had, we had a pretty decent class outside of Memphis. But in Memphis, I want to say those two guys pretty much got the uh, uh, the major pub because I was more double-A, smaller school, and they were more triple and stuff. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so many people talk about how their favorite moments are from playing high school basketball. Like, it's amazing how many professionals tell us that. And, I mean, I'm really curious how special that state championship was for you. I mean, especially for, our, like, our younger listeners, like, what made it click to be a state championship and what does it take? Like what, how big is that experience for you? Like developing a winning mindset at the next level? Like what can you kind of share about that title run that maybe helped build the future of your career? Well, I, I tell a lot of people, man, I, I've, I've been so blessed and so lucky to have to play, play for some amazing coaches um, in high school. Jimmy Adams was my high school coach. And if you don't know, coach Adams used to be, one of the assistant coach of the University of Memphis. He was assistant coach for Ole Miss University. Um, I want to say he was at Memphis when Penny was there uh, during his time. So coach had some major experience in terms of knowing how to manage the type of personnel that he had. Um, and, you know, obviously in high school, everybody wanted to just dunk and run. You know, we, we, were, we were pretty much shooting threes and dunking. That was it. And, and I wasn't a shooter until I got to college. So I was pretty much the one-legger. In high school, I was trying to one-leg everybody. So <laughs> it was a small team that ran. Um, but, I mean, it's just, you know, in high school is where you kind of come into your own and, and really kind of realize, you know, what type of player you're going to be. And, obviously, if you're good enough to play on the next level. And um, and I was blessed enough to play for a high school coach that really, really um, able me to, to play the best of my ability. Now, were you doing AAU at that time? I know AAU was was kind of percolating around that that time period. Um, did you play, and how 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 much do you think it's changed nowadays compared to when you played? If you did, um, 
during my time, I played for an AAU team, one of the best teams in the country. We won AAU National Championship a couple years, um, Memphis Idlewild. And it was obviously the most the, the top talent guys in our age group all played in Memphis. We all played together. And a lot of people didn't realize how we did it. But that group that we had, you know, Tony Harris, Robert Kelly, myself, name a few, uh, we had a more mature personality for our age because all of us grew up playing against our uncles and older guys and stuff. And I think that really helped us we were way more mature for our age. Um, but I think it's definitely a lot different now from what I've been seeing. It's, it's definitely become a business. I think back then it was just you have the opportunity to play with you guys that you played against during high school. And, uh, travel, obviously, is what I look forward to, to travel and play against, uh, obviously, other out-of-state teams and stuff, man. Now I think it's kind of it's, – it's become more of this. Yeah. <laughs> and I, ranking guys and ranking kids, which drives me nuts by the way. I don't know how you rank kids. You know, it, it puts a lot of pressure on them, right, <laughs> where they don't – you know, and then what is really a ranking? You know what I mean? It's it's – I got to ask a question though. When when you're playing AU, is that when you first feel like you can take it to the next level, or was it before then? Like you know, and what I mean by that is like you start you know playing different different teams, different players. You start seeing different games. You start realizing like you know what I can I can definitely I'm definitely hanging. I'm definitely playing well. Like is that when you when you felt like okay, next level is definitely achievable? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean. We were a competitive group, you know what I mean? We, we always played in, in age groups above us and, and did extremely well. Um, and I think uh, early on, I knew I you know, obviously wanted to play at the next level, but I want to say, because I hit that, you know, I started varsity in ninth grade. And I want to say after my freshman year in high school, I knew I was like, yeah, this is, this is it. Like I can, if I'm doing in seniors at a freshman, you know what I mean? But it, it, it didn't. You know, I didn't stop at that. Like, you have a big head about it. You know, you always obviously want to continue to get better and better and better and stuff. So, and again, it's just with me having so much well, older that's a, guys around. And that's a big thing, too. You know what I mean? Like, I remember playing ball, you know, none of my freshman class got to play varsity. We didn't get called up. It was one of those things where, like, you were, I don't even think we were allowed to. You know, and we had a great girls team. Like our girls team was nationally ranked in the top ten, like still is actually, which is insane. Um, and I remember some of the girls that would play would would get to play varsity, and then they go on and play Stanford and UCLA and stuff. But I don't think we were allowed to. So that had to have been an enormous ego boost and confidence yeah. boost to you, knowing like, hey, you know what? I'm I'm a freshman. I'm playing varsity. That's that's something. And again, it all helped coming from playing against playing with my uncles growing totally. up. So when I got as you know when I came in as a freshman, that's when my high school coach Jimmy Adams was there his first year in college, and um, and. Sure enough, I, I, I worked out with the older guys and stuff in the tryout period. You know, they have the age, you know, the ninth grade, the Monday, Tuesday trials with the sophomore, things like that. Um, and I just demolished those guys, obviously. And came by, you know, with the seniors and just went completely off. You know, and I knew I was good. I, I was good enough to compete with those guys. Man. But the way I did it, I think it really surprised them. And, and it obviously, you know, created a lot of jealousy, you know what I mean? Because a lot of guys didn't come out and, Think it was favoritism or whatever the case may be. My coach let it be known. And said, "Look, you can get mad all you want. He's gonna play over all y'all." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. he used to put me on the spot, and obviously, 
you know, I, I'm I'm all for the challenge. You know what I mean? So if you smack me, I'm smacking back. I'm not going. I'm not going to go on my turtle shell, frown up about it. You know, what I mean? you hit me, I'm gonna hit you back. So, uh, so well, I that's think thirteen, that, right? Thirteen, fourteen yeah. years old, you are at that time. I mean, that's yeah. you know, that's grown man stuff right there. When you really do think about it, you know what I mean? Is because stretching, what do you know about the stretching? At 13, 14 years, right? Stretch. <laughs> let me let me, hey, you throw the house, throw the house keys down, and try to dunk. Like, hey, man, working again. Like, you know, and and part of back then, I tell a lot of people especially with young kids, you know, they have so many resources nowadays. And a lot of these five, ten-year-old guys are doing NBA-type guys workouts. But me, it's like, hey, we're going to imitate what we saw last night in the Bulls game. Yep. Go in the backyard and try to do it. That's how we got better. Yep. And just playing a lot, pretty much. Cones, yep. man. Look cones out the way. We only use cones <laughs> when we run the slide. Cones. <laughs> That's so that's oh, so man. true, man. I, I'm I'm about your age, and I don't remember cones. I don't remember any of that stuff when I played ball and practiced. It was I remember a lot of UCLA's. I remember those, and I remember uh, a lot of running, man. But I do not mm-hmm. remember that stuff. And you are you are correct, man. I got a little nephew that he's uh, he's you know he, his coach when he was younger was uh, JYD, you know, Drew mm-hmm. Williams and stuff, and. Uh, I'm blown away by the stuff that they do. You're right. They do get that education early, man, because you are, you're right. It is this, and it's, it's that. It's, uh, it's, it almost takes the fun out of it in a way, man. You, you know it's, I mean? It's, 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 it's a weird market, man, because you see some NBA guys getting trained by guys who has no college experience, no high school experience, but you just signed a $90 million contract, and you're one of the top scorers in the country, and you're going to pay this guy to teach you how to, do what? Yeah, because the, the <laughs> nah, analytics. Man, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Man, that just don't hit right. <laughs> nah, man. I, I'm. Dude, I, look, I'm right there with you, man. I absolutely am. Um. So recruiting had to have been fun. I mean, you probably got awesome. a ton. You probably had a ton of letters. Probably had some great recruiting trip you, stories. You, you know what's fun, man, is that I was never ranked going into high school, and I went to the Nike All American camp the summer before my senior year. And showed out, wasn't ranked, made the top 20 game. And one name that stood out in that camp, Shea Cotton. Remember Shea Cotton? We oh, had yeah. Shea Cotton on the show. Oh, yep. my God. Yep. Man, he was every bit of it, too. Man, child. Man, I was like, yep. I was like, dude, like, we need to check his birth certificate. Man. This kid is <laughs> built like, you know, looking back then, he looked small. You know, now he looks small, but look back then, like, what in the world? You know, run our test. You know, all, all those guys in my class. I made the top 20 game. Just out the blue, just made the top 20 game. Obviously, I played extremely well, extremely well back then. Uh, but uh, after that Nike All-American camp, I started getting letters from everywhere. But obviously, with the recruit thing, I stuck with the school that recruited me to the which was obviously Memphis. It was Ole Miss, Tennessee, Tulane, Colorado, and Florida Gators at the time with Lon Kruger. So after Nike camp, I started getting all these Illinois letters. Come to find out, Kruger took the Illinois job. That scratched off because I already had Florida in mind because we used to me and my high school coach used to go to Ole Miss, obviously where he used to coach at, and used to watch Florida play. Old Miss all the time, so that's when I kind of fell in love with this system and, and really love watching you know, Beat Hook, Demetri Hill, Beat Hook, and Dan Cross and those guys uh, that played at that Florida team that went to the Final Four back then. So 
um, that's when I kind of fell in love with that man. And obviously, the recruiting visits were, were pretty impressive. And my best one, uh, I'm sure you guys probably heard the reputation of Kevin O'Neill. He doesn't really recruit when it comes to those visits. Uh, really good. And obviously, it was at Tennessee when Peyton Manning was there, so I got a chance to be down on the football field. Oh, nice. I had my name on a, on a blimp that went up, welcome Floyd Bradford, and then just oh, walk wow. around campus doing your visit, you know, just a tour of campus, and just random beautiful women walking up to you. Hey, welcome, Corey. <laughs> Hope to see you next fall, blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> you know, like random people just walking around with your jersey on. I mean, not just random two people. But I mean, like 20 people just high school, Raleigh, your jersey. I'm like, this dude is really going out with this, man. Yeah. And you saw his visit on Hoop Dreams. If you watch Hoop Dreams, oh yeah, one of the guys when he when Kevin O'Neill was at Marquette, you saw it. He was like balloons when he went in this room, and Kevin O'Neill is is by far one of the, one of the, the best when it comes to the business and stuff. Man. Yeah. Obviously, you go to the business. that makes that makes a difference. It makes a difference, though, man. Like you said, it's 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 first impressions, man. Just like right. you know, you talked about Long Kruger. I mean. You know, we don't hear many stories about him. So what could you share with us uh, that our listeners might find very interesting about him? Coach is probably, if you look up the word gentleman, it should be a picture of punk. He's like top-notch, like clean cut. Uh, uh, if it's if it's a program that you know it's going to be clean, that's going to uh, that you know, Sending your, your son to play for someone that you know he's gonna he's gonna definitely get bold and shape to a really young man. So being able to think obviously I grew up in the household, I know right and wrong. I've always been straight and narrow. Coach Kruger really polished my 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 game, my, my, you know, from a mentality standpoint, but just off the court, just really don't have to carry myself for being presentable. Um, you know and and really kinda you know, being around him, you you know, you you mature a lot faster. You know what I mean? Uh, and 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 that's and that's why when he's go to these when he's he's changed so many programs and stuff culture wise. Going to UNLV made him a winning program. Yep. Went to Oklahoma and done the same thing. So, uh, so, so coaches, you know, that's always been my guy. He's the reason how I came shooter. Yeah, he's the reason why I became a shooter. You know, he's the one like Acor, one leg everybody in the Big Ten. Jump shot look nice. We're gonna make a huge aspect of your game, and, you know, and it's gonna prolong your career. You'll you know what I'm talking about you know, years from now. And boom. Yeah, and you know, obviously you have the amazing shot, but for me, the biggest adjustment going to the next level was the speed of the game. And I'm just curious what your biggest adjustment was going from high school to college, and also what was an everyday practice like, like Frank Williams, Brian Cook, Robert Archibald. I mean, those are some players on that roster. So, how competitive did those practices get? Our practices were ten times harder than game, um, and I tell people that all the time. That the, the team we had my junior year, number one seed, lost to Arizona, where they shot 56 free throws, which is a NCAA record to this day. Um, my guy Lauren Woods, who was on that team, and we played against each other overseas. And he thanks me every single time I talk to him. He said, "Man, I sure appreciate it, man," because they knew, you know, what I mean, like you know how good our team was. But every single day, man, I would say that those practices, man, it was at least a fight every couple of days, <laughs> at least. <laughs> and seriously, seriously, a fight every couple of days. And at that time, Coach Self was there. 
Michael Self's my guy, you know what I mean? So self thing was like, hey, getting a scuffle too much. Put that shot clock on the on the board, circle up, take off those jerseys. Y'all got the shot clock to work this out. Wow. And that oh, happened cool. at least every two days. Oh man, it was <laughs> it was it was it was more funny than it was like, ooh, ooh, it was like, you know. It was yeah. more like, ah, y'all don't want to fight. Y'all just grab and tussle. <laughs> you know. So true. Oh, so it true. Is, yeah. Waiting for somebody to grab you, those right? Those practices were pretty <laughs> – yeah, those practices were pretty tough. They were, they were pretty tough. That That's pretty. hilarious. We've never heard that, but that's an amazing story. And, uh, yeah, I, I might have to steal that one someday. But can you talk about the NCAA tournament experience, though, just from, like, the craziness of Selection Sunday to finding out who you're going to play and the little time to prepare for teams, like – what do you remember from those tournament runs? And was there maybe a loss that stung the most? Not to bring up bad memories, but I'm really curious if there is a loss that stung the most. Um, I mean, you know, with the team we had, you know, obviously we knew we were gonna we were gonna go and stuff, and, and obviously we just want to know where we we're gonna be placed. And uh, knowing what you know now, you know that sometimes those selection committees, you know, place you in certain places because they generate more money, you know, the fan support, like Illinois got a big fan support, so maybe we need to put it this region so we can have more fans come, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the one that stung the most, obviously, was that Arizona game. Yeah. So we knew the build up to it. Coach Olsen, you know, his wife passing away and then you know, kind of labeled us as a dirty team. And it just obviously the game spoke for itself, so I bad. Uh, you know, preparation-wise, man, we hated scouting. Yeah, it, we had the most. We had the most funniest scouting reports ever <laughs> by any of our assistant coaches. Uh, you guys know <laughs> Billy Gillespie, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Coach G, hilarious. So I I remember us playing Arizona. <laughs> so we come in at the shoot around, and we just saw the names on the board. So Gilbert Arenas, Richard Jefferson, you know, Lauren Woods, you know, just got the names on too. Like, oh hell, here we go. You know, it's a tough you know, scouting coach, Right. Because Coach Self thing was he don't like it either. He's like, look, I know it's a lot of guys. He'll say, you know what? They gotta guard us too. They gotta play defense too. That was always his thing. Look, fellas, just know the personnel because they gotta guard us too. I don't think they can guard us. But anyways. <laughs> so we come in, we sit down, we like, you know, because Coach G is known to have some funny scouting. So he goes, Richard Jefferson, if he's not dunking, they don't win. Soft. Right? Soft by his name. Huge letters. <laughs> Gilbert Arenas, if he's not making threes, soft. <laughs> Lauren Woods, if he's not blocking shots, soft. He gets down. Um, Jason Garner, if he's not dribbling all around the damn floor and shoot threes, they don't win. Soft. And then he gets to Luke Wald. He was like, look, Walt, you know what? His dad was a pussy, too. Soft. <laughs> <laughs> that was the whole scouting report. Wow, that that's it. That five, was it. Five sentences, tops. Because, you know, yeah. we played him a bunch of times. And I remember playing him a second time after we lost to him in Maui. Um, and we just kind of knew that he was like, man, he was whining too much. They're soft. And so Coach Self said, look, I think they're pussies. Start a fight with him any chance you get. So if yeah. you two the game when we played him at the United Center, you see a bunch of scuffles and you know just little tangle ups and stuff. Just trying to start something with him. Coach Self said, "You start a fight." I don't think they. they yeah, I, think they I, could, I could see him put the shot clock out. 
Chuck Clocker oh, too. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, you know, you had an amazing eighty-eight game streak with a three-point field goal made in college. You know, I read all about that. And uh, I mean, you had beautiful form. I mean, quick release, great balance. And I'm just curious, what kind of training that you focused on to develop such an amazing shot? Because I don't think most fans or kids really know how much time is put into perfecting the shot. So can you share a little bit of maybe some of the little things that you focused on or maybe something different about your training that you can share? Um, I just noticed with, with, with doing a lot of things with Coach Kruger, I was extremely lucky because when he was at K-State, he had a really good guard. Um, they played with him, Steve Henson. Uh, Steve, Steve used to come work out. Um, he used to come at Illinois and, and train in the summer. He used to get in shape preseason before he went overseas or or actually play the league or whatever. And I had an opportunity to to be with Steve a couple summers before he actually came to assistant coach at him. And um, and I really learned a lot of him in terms of footwork. Um, you know, and obviously shooting a lot going to my belt because a lot of teams play to your, your weekend and coach crew you say, hey, make your you know your weekends got to be strong. So invite them to take your, you know, consider your weekend, which is a stronger hand, you know. So uh, we used to do a lot of things like footwork and just mainly repetition because, uh, you know, obviously mechanics with there, it's all comes to muscle memory, make a certain amount of shots, you know, things like that, or get a certain amount of shots up. It's his thing's always rips, get your rips in, get your rips in. Uh, yeah. But, but nothing special in college. I think things kind of advanced for me once I started playing pro and stuff. I kind of took it to a different level in terms of my whole approach to, to, to training the became shoot. Let's talk about that for a second, too. So what was the draft process like for you? Did you have any workouts? Did you expect to be drafted? And, and when your name wasn't called, what was the mindset as far as what was next for you? Uh, I I wasn't expecting much. You know, I knew I was a, a undersized guard. You know, I had a two-guard game but with a point-guard body back then because, you know, obviously the NBA is not about being a basketball player. You got to be a certain height, certain wingspan, vertical jump, pretty certain positions and things like that. So uh, my name was Carl. I wasn't disturbed at all. Man. I knew I still was going to play. Uh, and, and obviously I was open to so many options in terms of playing on seeds or whatever. But the road may take me and stuff. I just got the opportunity to be in Memphis during preseason. Um, and I made 16 on 15-man roster. Um, and unfortunately, the year that I came out of 02 was when Mike Dickerson, Came yeah. back from the grid. Maybe he had a groin injury. Yeah. I think he was maybe out for a year or two prior to that. And then the year he decided to come back, he comes back the year I came. No. <laughs> but, um, but those guys really um, took care of me, though. Um, I really got a really good relationship with uh, Jerry West, who really compensated me a lot. Um, and they ended up sending me to Dakota Wizards at the time, which Dave Yeager was the coach. Okay. Yeah, you know, yeah. Dave Yeager was the coach, and uh, and he was awesome, man. awesome. I enjoyed my time playing at CBA. And I want to say it probably was the last time CBA was CBA before the the developmental league happened, uh, before they started to really to really kick off. And then after that, man, I got opportunity to go overseas and never look back. Never look back. Yeah, and I mean, when you do go overseas, what kind of culture shock was that for you? And did you have desire to maybe try the NBA again, or were you pretty set on your career overseas? Like, I mean, talk about the culture shock of getting there. Uh, 
it wasn't a big shock, you know, because I love traveling. I've been overseas before, obviously. Um, and one of the best transitions I've made in terms of, you know, the perfect place to go to for my first time overseas is going to Hungary. And I had, it's one, to this day, one of the best places I've ever played. In. Uh, and for me, I'm so open. I'm like a, I'm like a chameleon, man. I adjust anywhere I go to. Uh, always open to different cultures and learn new things and stuff like that. And I think that's what made my career overseas so much easier. Yeah. And I mean, I love the overseas stories. And every time that we talk to somebody that played overseas, they always have just some really crazy, bizarre story. And I have to ask you, after all the years of playing overseas, like, what's the wildest moment that you had playing overseas, whether it's it's in the game or with the fans or just living in another country? What's that one story that always comes to mind? Uh, in Hungary. Um, you know, I, I would say I've, I've, I've been blessed to play in some amazing places. Everywhere I played it, it was awesome. You know, I mean, big cities, things like this. I never played in small towns or anything like that. So I was, I was lucky. Money's never been late. Out of all the 18 years I played, never been late. Nothing. Oh, wow. But my year over in Hungary, it was two brothers. One brother owned my team. One brother owned a team in Sonok. All right? Sonok is only 30 minutes away. To this day, Sonok fans are the most rowdiest fans I've ever played from, ever. <laughs> like, they are on a whole nother level, spit on you, like, F you, you know, like. So yeah. they hated my guts. They hated my guts. I don't know why they hated my guts. <laughs> so we play these teams. Our owner would come in our locker room and have a big wad of money in Hungarian, you know, money obviously put it on the table. Good luck, walk out. We know we win. <laughs> that's going to be ours. Split it. Wow. His brother does the same thing. Goes in their locker room, puts the money on the table. Whoever wins get that same amount of money that they, you know, have for the team. Obviously. So basically, the the, the brother who loses is paying the bonus for the team that wins. Obviously. So obviously, we win. Um, but when we go there is when it gets bad. So when we get off the bus, their fans are already there. I have to wait until my team get off the bus. I have to get off last. So I got the shields, the, the guards with the shields and everything. So when I get off the bus, they're spinning. Like, they're like, Corey, you wait because if we go out with you. We ain't trying to get all that with you. You know, and obviously when the game starts, the most bizarre thing is that they had a hang baby, a black baby doll with my jersey on it. <laughs> Hit it with a stick. Like a oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, just swinging away. <laughs> and of course, you know, when we're lined up, I'm looking across to the other Americans. I'm like, and they just like, hey, Joe. <laughs> and literally just, but, but obviously after the game, man, it's like it never happened because, you know, they're going to do whatever they can to get them scan, say this, say that, insult you, stuff like that. Great player, nothing personal. We got to do whatever we can to get you out your day. We want you to get ejected. We want you to do anything. So, um, playing in that place is probably one of the most disrespectful places I ever played. But it was fun because it always brought the best out of me. Yeah, that's a wild story, and that's why we love those overseas stories. I mean, we always hear something new. You know, you think you've heard it all, and then you hear an overseas story, and you're like, oh, yep, never heard that one before. But 
Um, and we talked to Jermaine Barnes. Obviously, we've we've had your guy JB on the show, and you know we we always hear a good Jermaine Barnes story. Like when we had Keith Kloss on, he had some good ones. And I'm just curious, since I know he's with you right now, I know he's going to laugh at this question, but what's your favorite JB story? You got a favorite JB story that our listeners might might like? And you know, my thing will always be JB that you know when he travels. I, I'm sure you've heard. He has Hugh Dini's backpack. I don't know how he gets everything in it. It's amazing. <laughs> he came and visited me in Costa Rica. He had a small backpack. It was maybe a little bigger than a fan pack. It was, <laughs> and I mean, he pulled out so much stuff. And I'm like, dude, who? Like, is that a magician's bag? Like, how did you get a basketball? Basketball, like, Four pair of basketball shorts, a pack of socks, underwear, five t-shirts, a laptop, charge. <laughs> so I'm like, dude, how are you like like where did this come from? But it, it, it that's it, I'm not the only one that, that thinks that man. When he travels, man, trust me. He, I don't know where he got this bag from, but I said, dude, you gotta market this thing because I don't know how you got all this stuff in the bag. No possible. Especially to all the all the overseas players, right, man? I mean, all the travel. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, when you play for an NBA team, you might play for one team, maybe two teams, right? You got those those certain guys that get traded like seven teams, right? But when you're playing overseas, a lot of times you're playing in a ton of different places. You're playing for a ton of different teams. We hear guys right. that will play, you know, for for a team in Greece, and then they'll play for a team in Hungary, then they'll play for a mm-hmm. team in Spain. You know, it's like right. they're jumping all over the place. So. So JB's got to market that to those players, man. I mean, for yeah, all that, all that traveling, you want to travel light, that's the way to go, man. So you recently retired. What what was the moment that you decided it was right to hang it up? That's always a hard decision for well, players, you know? You know, my whole goal, man, was to play till I was 40. That's how I wanted to play till I was 40. Um, and obviously, I was able to squeeze out an extra year. And uh, like, you know, I was in China with COVID hit, so I was, I was squeezing that extra year. So I played all the way until I was 20, uh, 41. And to be honest, I could have played a couple more years. I could have played a couple more years. If it wasn't for COVID, I really could have played a couple more years. And obviously, with my son being that was it. But uh, I think it was time, man. You know, it was just like I wanted to I just, you know, have a kid. And you know, I was like, you know what? I played long enough. And it's time to you know, give these young guys a chance. You know, like, you know, when I'm going to play till I'm 45, it's the point of that. And I enjoyed it. And plus, I got tired of Jason Williams uh, getting mad at me because, you know, he wanted me to play in the 40 and over league. I was always going back overseas. So he told me if I, if I didn't play with him this, you know, that, that year or whatever, then he was, he was I'm done with you, man. I'm done with you. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm wasting a spot on you, man. <laughs> That's hysterical, you know, man. But, but for the most part, man, I, I, you know, it was just time, man. I, I played. It's time to move on and do something new, and obviously, hopefully, try to get back in basketball. Is what I'm trying to do, try to get back to my university. Hopefully, some things work out. And I can get back there. Nice, very, very cool. Hey, we want to do a quick lightning round with you. Um, Zach's going to ask the questions to you. It'll just be like a one or two word answer. Um, Zach, are you ready to ask the questions? I am. And uh, my first question to you is: Was there any meaning to wearing the number thirteen? Uh, my whole family. Okay, awesome cool. family number. I love it. Uh, who's your toughest cover as a player and why? Who's the one guy you just couldn't figure out how to guard? 
Michael Red and Michael Red because he was six five and he was a headache, a headache. Yep. He played at different speeds and he could score with a Boy, jump shot and you didn't know. How, yeah, you just got to hope he's off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a great name to drop. Um, who is the biggest influence to help you become a true professional? Who I want to say, Chris Gone out of Memphis. Uh, Chris Gone. Uh, he, he taught me how to be a true professional in terms from a nutrition standpoint and training standpoint. Okay, awesome. Um, any weird superstitions that you or a teammate had that come to mind? I ate a pack of Starburst before every game. Nice. Starburst, all right. Yeah, favorite, that's a favorite color? Favorite color? No, I ate it all, man. You ate it all. You didn't care. Sometimes <laughs> I smash them together and make a little Starburst <laughs> burger, man. You don't need to talk. Yeah, that's how I do. Starburst like burger. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, who's one guy that you wish you could have played with? Hmm. I would say my team, please. Okay. Oh. I love play with please. Wow. Great choice. Yeah. yeah amazing. If you played against them, you will understand what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. No, we've been trying <laughs> to get against you. Know. Yeah, we've been trying to get Cleves on the show for a long time. I love Mateen Cleves. Um, what's your fat? Uh, what's your favorite basketball memory? If you had to pick just one, what's that one that comes to mind? Breaking a record. I would say my best memory was uh, finally breaking NCAA uh, consecutive games. Okay. Awesome. And uh, I actually have just one more for you because I just thought of this. I mean, you played into into your 40s. What is the most important thing to keep your body in shape in order to be able to play for such a long time at such a high level? Like, what's that one word of advice that you'd give to young athletes coming up? Um, I would say listen to your bodies, but recovery was the most important thing throughout my career. Recover. Take that extreme sickness. Uh, recovery is, is going to prolong. Yeah, that's awesome. We hear that a lot for sure too. It's especially as you get older, right? Yeah, when you get older, it's definitely, definitely something you need to do more for sure. You know, you were awesome. Um, really gave us a lot of cool insight. Really enjoyed talking to you today for sure. Um, is there anything you'd like to add or promote? No, man. I I, I say guys who's trying to, uh, you know, pursue a professional career. Obviously, trying to play for a long time. I would say. Uh, you know, find a professional. You know, I always strive on being a professional professional. You know, I always wanted to be a blueprint for another professional. You know, another professional need advice. I wanted to be that guy that they they gravitate to to ask for advice. Uh, I would say, you know, in order to be consistent, just uh, you know, do things the right way. Uh, treat yourself as a brand. You know, always ask yourself if if I'm a team owner, will I? Am I worth ten feet? Am I worth ten thousand dollars a month? Am I worth five thousand dollars a month? Where the case may be, uh, I just think that whole professional approach uh, and, and really treating yourself like a brand, obviously doing it the right way, and just kind of finding that right professional that you can really gravitate to, and really learn how to do things right, and and not rely on being these these, these YMCA all stars, you know what I mean? It's Hall of Fame, uh, but uh, I would say that's probably yeah dude that's great advice man because i really i feel like in today's society we don't focus enough on that man it's it's we're becoming too narcissistic look at me look at me and and paying it forward man is huge and and just 
you know, I always, when I pay it forward in my life, you know, doing what I do, I always try to tell people, look, the reason I'm telling you these things is because I messed up this way. And I don't want to see you mess up this way if it's possible for you not to. You know what I mean? And that, I think that's important. That's a, that's great advice, Corey, man. It really it's, is. It's funny you say it there because one the best advice someone's gave me was my granddad. He said, learn from others' mistakes so you don't make mistakes. It's true. And that's why I've always been clean cut. I said, look, man, I'm learning from this guy's mistakes so I don't make that mistake. It's not like that I'm perfect. But, you, know, I, you know, they say, hey, man, you learn from your mistakes. So I'm like, yeah, but I learn from others' mistakes. Absolutely. No, it's true, man, because if, if you see that and learn, you know, it's it, it makes an enormous difference. Like think about when you're younger, if you paid attention to more to what people were doing and seeing what they were doing that you didn't want to emulate, man, it saves you a lot in the long run. It saves a lot of time in your life, man. How many times have your coach, you know, got on the guy for doing something wrong? He's not saying, look, I'm not just getting on him. I'm getting on everybody. So you oh, don't yeah. make that mistake either. You know what I mean? I say, so, I say that every practice. Every yeah, practice. Like, I say hey, that. This is for everybody, not just him. Like, it goes for everybody. You know? nah, so I, I always thrived on that, man. I think that was one of the best advice someone gave my friend. You're absolutely correct. Correct those mistakes so you don't make those mistakes. No, you're oh. absolutely Absolutely correct. I got it. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's smart. It's smart. That's that's um, that's a really smart way to look at things. Zach, is there anything you want to add before we let Corey out of here? I just want to say thanks, man. I loved watching you play uh, back when you were at Illinois. So I mean, this is a lot of fun to be able to sit here and chat with you. And you know, I hope you guys are staying safe during that hurricane. I know you and JB are, you know, stuck in the house right now. But I'm sure you packed enough essentials in his little backpack for you guys to get through the storm so hopefully you guys stay safe over there so. thanks man thanks yeah we're, we're doing okay man hopefully we won't you know we just get the back end of it and stuff man just a just a little rain so we only hope for the best and i mean obviously if we're in central florida we in we're bred off where we are compared to being on the coast where the water and stuff is where you know they get hit pretty bad and stuff so so hopefully everybody be okay man it's nothing yeah, for sure. For I appreciate sure. it, man. Thanks, yeah, guys. Sure. It's definitely a pleasure. I'm truly grateful, man. So thanks. Awesome. Thanks again awesome. for coming on the show, man. We really do appreciate it, man. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you soon. That was an awesome interview. Corey was really cool, gracious with his time. Nice to hear Mateek Cleaves. It was nice to hear Penny Hardaway, which we don't hear as much, yeah. unfortunately. And, like, and I mean, Elliot Perry, socks. Yeah, I loved, I loved socks, man. There, there was a lot of great names that he dropped today. A lot, a lot of good conversation. You know, um, you know, he brought up some great points that that the listeners will definitely, you know, should really listen to. Man, it's like we've talked about last couple episodes. It's been, you know, paying attention. Don't make those mistakes that you don't need to make mistakes of. Listen to people that have been there, man, because a lot of times they're telling it to you because they made those mistakes and don't want to see you make those mistakes. It's not an ego thing. It's not a whatnot. It's literally. Hey, I did this the wrong way. Do it the right way, if that makes sense. Right. And you can tell he's a guy that did it the right way. I mean, you could just tell from his shooting for him that he was a perfectionist in that area. And that's why I was just really curious if he had any different training with the shot. Because his shot was beautiful. Like, when you talk about the great forms, like Ray Allen comes to mind, Michael Red comes to mind. But, I mean, honestly, Corey Bradford's right there. Go go look at his forms, his quick release, his balance, his, his follow-through. It's beautiful, man. He's got a beautiful shot. Yeah, and it makes all the difference in the world, man. It absolutely does. Get a quick shot off, get a nice shot off, good release. That ball's going in the hoop a lot more than you would think. Um, speaking of that, thinking, uh, it's it's amazing when we think about it, how much you guys are making a difference in terms of getting us listeners, um, getting us guests, 
uh, charting. It's it's insane. We say it every we say it every every episode, but you know we should say it every episode because we are grateful to get to interview a lot of awesome players and give you great stories behind the scenes stuff. Um, learning what it's like to be a pro, especially for our listeners that are players, you know, that haven't gotten to that next level yet. You're learning a lot listening to these podcasts on basically how to conduct yourself as a professional. And and a lot of these people are telling you this. So go back and listen to some more episodes if this is the first time you ever listen. And if it's the first time you listen, thanks for listening and getting this far into the episode. Zach, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here? I just want to say big thanks to Corey Bradford. Just loved watching him play. To be able to sit here and talk with him has been awesome. That's what's so cool about this pod, man. Like all these guys that you grow up really idolizing and, you know, being able to watch and, you know, it's really cool when you get to talk to them live and they turn out to be awesome dudes. And also shout out Jermaine Barnes. He, he's, he's been a great guest for us in the past. He's been good to us, always sharing our stuff. And, you know, he's also, you know, a, an awesome guy. So hopefully those two are staying safe in the hurricane. I know he's packed plenty of essentials in that little backpack. So I know. Hopefully he sure packed, packed like a boat or something for them to get out of there. <laughs> if it gets too crazy, right? Yeah. I could just see him pulling out a, inflatable raft i just yeah when he said houdini i about lost it that was (laughs) absolutely hysterical well ladies and gentlemen thanks for hanging out with us as always appreciate it be good to yourselves be good to others and uh, stay safe out there we'll talk to you soon peace